This episode is brought to you by Breathe Easy Productions. Dream, plan, do. Welcome to the What Do Women Know? What do women know? What do women know? Podcast. I'm Jessica O'Keefe. Today, I'm interviewing Special Agent Allison Moore of the U.S. Department of Justice Criminal Division. She's like an action hero in a film with a rapid-fire wit and ease with language. Allison's had a career that writes the books themselves, from part-time fashion model to U.S. Senator's research assistant to DEA agent and now to DOJ special agent. I am grateful to Allison for her friendship, candor, and willingness to be interviewed here. With that, I present you with... Special Agent Allison Moore. Thank you, Special Agent Allie Moore, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. No, I, I actually kind of you know, cherish the opportunity to be here and, and do this because I think it's really important to just show women in different walks of life and different professions and kind of bring their experiences to the forefront. Thank you. I'm always impressed with how you can describe things in a humorous, wise, way that doesn't come naturally to everybody. You have a real gift with language. One of my favorite things, my favorite memories is when you talked about catching a perp by his jeans saying it was all Franks and beans. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was definitely a fun experience in my, uh, my first real arrest experience. So I guess I'm happy it kind of went down that way. Not so much for him, but good. at least there was a good story to come out of it. And you caught him. Yes. Yeah, we did catch him. I wish it hadn't been in the middle of a street, but we did. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I thought, I, caught him. I thought it was he was running across his backyard and was over a fence. He, he did. He jumped over the fence of his backyard, but then he went onto one of the busiest streets. We had to essentially tackle him in the middle of like a six lane street. And I, this, I think this was before the advent of a lot of, you know, kind of newer model cell phones. It was right at that cusp there. So it, everyone and their mom wasn't, you know, filming at the time because I fully expected this to be on some sort of social media like even in that moment yeah oh my <laughs> gosh <laughs> you can save that for your book yes yeah I'll lock <laughs> that one away it becomes a major motion picture <laughs> it really sold me though on the job I was like okay this is this is a regular thing this is a good way to get some cardio in and have some fun on the job <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing but that too I mean just that example and the way you even talk about that your ability to speak honestly but also have your alley wit is something I'm wondering if that helped you navigate being in law enforcement. I, I'd say that it did because I find humor to be pretty disarming um, and it's a really good way to, you know, put people at ease and um, it's, it, it can be, it can be a really helpful tool. You know, it can help ingratiate yourself with people, help you to earn their trust. And I think as a woman in law enforcement, it's, you know, I didn't feel exactly like I was, you know, shut out or anybody was hostile. I think that um, because there are so few of us that, a lot of people in law enforcement tend to be a little initially standoffish with women not understanding kind of if we can take a joke, how careful they need to be around us. And I've found that humor is a really good way to forge those bonds and put them at ease pretty early on. It's a great way to build, you know, lifelong friendships and partnerships too over the last six years I've been in it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you plan, do you think of things that you'll say when you go into situations when you go undercover? The, yeah, so I, I will say that, you know, I'll probably kick it around in my head if there's like a, maybe a certain story or experience that I can, you know, turn into like a funny point or even a funny recounting of that story that the person that I'm going to be dealing with would really, that it would appeal to as a means of reaching them better and making them more comfortable. So I, I'll try, I'll try to do a little bit of prep work for, for situations like that going into it. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And how do you not get nervous? Uh, every now and then I still will, you know, it's just, I think it's just the unknown of a, a situation, but it's just, you know, it's like everything else. The more you do it, it just kind of becomes second nature. And, you know, you, you prepare for it like you do any other meeting or something like that. It's just it, the, it, once the, yeah, the newness of that experience wears off, I think a lot of just those kind of pre-action nerves do too. It was definitely scarier, like from the get-go as like a brand new agent where you really want to prove yourself and don't want to, you know, make a mistake on the first deal or two that's going to kind of set up your reputation that could stick with you for a while after that. So I feel like once I didn't mess up the initial ones, I was like, okay, at least I can, I can coast on that where they're not going to be like, oh no, like this chick again. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I was just like, I just want them to like have like, you know, good experience with me. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That makes complete sense. I, I'm, I'm impressed though at how gracefully you handle it all. Even just talking about it, you, know, you toss it around in your head a little bit. When I was acting, I would, I didn't just kick it around. Like even going in for an improv audition, I would obsess. And I, I think that that is such a beautiful thing about how you talked about preparation in a relaxed manner. And I think, I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that, you know, if we do undercover work or something like that, it's, it's kind of a strange one-sided acting, I guess. And because I'm not, you know, I don't have any experience in that and I'm not trained in it. The only really approach I have is just try to go in as naturally as possible, you know, so they can kind of feed off of that. But I can see where it would be a lot different, you know, when you're doing improv and you're doing acting and you have all these like highly trained people that are each kind of performing their craft to the other one. And it's this kind of collaborative effort. And in mine, I'm kind of just doing this at a person and wanting them to feel like it's a normal interaction. <laughs> That's the kind of acting that is regaled. You know, when you retire, you could, you could have early retirement and go into acting as a profession and you would be <laughs> successful. You could like, play yourself. That'd be easier. I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not good at accents. So yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you are bilingual. Yes, I, would, I speak um, conversational Spanish. I am more comfortable if like, I tell people, I'm like, hey, in a pinch, if you need me to translate, if I need to do some basic interviews, I'm fine with that. I just refer to my Spanish as muddled since I learned for the most part how to speak when I lived in Spain briefly. But then, you know, I, I generally approach it with a kind of like Northern Mexican accent. So if I was going to have to do some heavy undercover or like intensive translating, my vocabulary would be all sorts of, all sorts of weird, but I can get the point across. So yeah. So I'll, I'll just tell people, yeah, in a pinch, yeah, I got you for translating. Is that the Northern Mexican? Is that because of your family? Is that, is that? Yeah. Like so I would say the first Spanish I heard was uh, my great grandparents who didn't speak any English, but they didn't want um, my parents or anybody else to speak Spanish because they were worried that uh, my family wouldn't invest in American culture and they just, you know, would basically essentially be outcasts. It was very hard. Like I wish I'd grown up speaking Spanish because it's always easier when it's you know, a first language hand in hand with English. Like I don't always working to not let those skills atrophy. So that's, that's kind of, kind of a downside to it, but that's, I, that is how I learned the accent. And my grandfather, cause he was deaf, we actually had to write in Spanish on a whiteboard to him. So it was kind of impromptu Spanish language, language lessons whenever we were like up North visiting them. Wow. I did not know that. I think that's a story, a common story that I hear from friends that when immigrating to the United States, choosing to speak only English and then thereby learning it. Yes. And I think there's, that was the concern of my like great grandparents, just that it was like a forced assimilation. They thought there was no other way to do this than this very hard line stance of no Spanish unless absolutely necessary for communication with certain family members. 
So it really did later generations a disservice because that's such a, a lucrative tool now, you know, like everybody, it's high demand to speak any, any second language. So it's just, uh, it's another thing I'm constantly trying to like work on every day, even if I'm just sitting there at night, you know, doing my like Duolingo so I don't forget like basic conjugations or something. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love my Duolingo. I know. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine with making this owl happy. Like, <laughs> he makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> owl happy and the people that don't <laughs> yep <laughs> and and like when they send you those emails about how you haven't practiced in a while it legitimately kind of kind of gets to me like I feel guilty <laughs> as part of your work ethic you have extremely high work ethic and and drive well thank you that really that means a lot and I think it's just a a function of uh, our family they've always been driven and no, no matter you know kind of what endeavors they go after and to, to me I think that I just feel like I get stir crazy or like almost like a feeling of kind of like unease or disappointment in myself if I don't feel like I'm at least working towards something or that I have a project or I've recently felt some sort of a sense of accomplishment I think I just feel like I'm mired in inaction and I don't like that feeling so I'm always trying to do something proactive or feel like I'm bettering myself or tackling you know a new caseload in some way. I, mean, I love the way you put that into words I, I, I get this scared feeling in my tummy if I'm not doing something but I, the way you put it is very elegant. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So it sounds like, you know, we're like, again, we're, we're the same in that, we're in that regard, right? You know, it's just that, that uncomfortability with that feeling of an action, you know, however you personally define that to be. Do you think that feeling, that drive, you're, fight, you're fighting past the inaction or you're... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to fight my way out of what I personally feel as an action. Like if I think that, for example, you know, if we have like, this, like a four day weekend, if I feel like I haven't done enough productive, whether that's projects around the house, or I haven't gotten as far in personal goals work-wise that I've set for myself with like advancing a case that I have, then I'll start feeling, I guess, yeah, it's like a sense of like unease or antsiness. And so like my husband always makes fun of me because if I can't do anything else and I'm uncomfortable with that level of unproductivity I'll just start like obsessively cleaning the house because at least it's like a very it's a very quick fix I'm like okay I can see things going from dirty to clean like there is now a good outcome here that I can immediately see oh my gosh that's amazing <laughs> isn't is that that fighting past the inaction that that battling over the obstacle is that is that something that urged you into law enforcement what got you to go into law enforcement I, I would say I was inspired in large part uh, by my father, who's also in law enforcement and growing up and, and seeing him go from working DPS highway patrol and through his, his promotions and to where he had gotten himself. I really liked that combination of, especially for federal government, of being able to have this dichotomy of like working in the streets and being extremely hands-on with working very complex international cases and kind of having the freedom to find whatever niche you want and within within that agency and work what you wanted. And so I think that that really appealed to me. And when I started as uh, an analyst for DEA, I really liked putting together all those puzzle pieces and making the connections between individuals, but I still felt incomplete. I wanted to not only initiate the case, but I wanted to break down the door at the end and see it through. So that's how I decided I wanted to go and, and you know actually be a, a federal agent, a special agent for the Department of Justice. Wow, that's so cool. You wanted to kick down the door and see it to completion. What was it at the completion that you see? In large part, it's, you know, when you, you start building a case, like putting all the pieces together, you're talking about phone numbers, names, contacts you're getting from a wire mixed with 
the financial, like the money movement that you're getting from forensic accounting with everyone's, you know, their activity in and out of the country, what contraband, whether it be narcotics or firearms you believe are being smuggled. So you can only put so much of this together in a packet when it actually comes to the day of like hitting all these simultaneous search warrants. I wanted to, you know, actually be there to see the case through, to see what was in the houses, see these people who are really, they're, they're, they almost seem like characters in a fictional story because you, you know them so well, you've seen them on so many screens, you know their names and to see them like in real time in their homes, very end when this all kind of comes to a head. I just wanted that kind of finality, I guess, in the case story arc. And I wanted to be able to follow through to months afterwards of how the prosecution follows forward and all the charging potential. And I, for me, I, I wanted that, that full picture, I guess, to add kind of a sense of finality to a big case I've been working on for so long. I don't know if, if I was in law enforcement, if I would have the, the energy to keep going, but I love your mind, how you want to find out how it's prosecuted. You want to know what happens in the end. That's heroic that you're a hero of our government. Oh, you're giving me way too much credit, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do love what I do and the cases that we work and all these, I mean, every single case is completely different. So you really, I don't feel like I, you get burnout from doing it just because it's, it's like a different, like for you, it's like a different project every time with a different group of people. And it always feels fresh carrying, carrying that through to the end. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it like that, that every case would be different. That's, that's exactly how I feel about work is I don't like repeating the same thing. Even the way I wake up, I, my husband is so good at waking up and doing everything in the exact same order. I have, <laughs> I have the hardest time doing that. Are you, or are you orderly? I think I am. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm probably more like your husband and then my husband is more like you. Cause he makes fun of me. Cause I, I do like the, yeah, the exact same thing in like the same order every morning and want like the room tidy when I leave and oh yeah, <laughs> but, but I have to also, cause I'll forget stuff. So I have to like have a system in my head. So it's also, I mean, there, there is like a, a reason to it, but I probably go as he calls it a little overboard on like the OCD. No, that's awesome. I was thinking about that because when you were saying the other day, when we were talking, it was like, oh, I got to go in. I got to do this op. And I wondered, does Allie have a, have a system? I wonder if she, how does she get ready in the morning to go out on an op? Does she have a, a list? Does she check everything off? Does she keep it all in her head? I would say I, I definitely adhere to a mental list. And I, I use it like the same approach I would for, you know, like, you know, when you get ready in the morning, it's like, okay, you know, brush teeth, wash face, hair, makeup. So I, I have like, you know, all my clothes laid out for the night before, whatever gear that I'm going to need. I load what I can in the car ahead of time, but harder part of like an early morning op when you're going to like wake up and you, you know, for the most part, it's at that point you're serving search warrants. I thought it was just me for the longest time, just, you know, not getting used to it, but I really don't sleep the night before. I probably wake up every hour on the hour knowing that I have to wake up at like three 30 in the morning. And I just figured, okay, maybe this is just how I am. And I'm, you know, too high strung about, you know, cause I don't want to never miss something like that because there's such a big deal. And then I found out, you know, when we were at these staging locations time and again, that it was all these very experienced task force officers, federal agents, and they were all saying the same thing. When you know, you have to get up that early to serve something like that on, you know, where it becomes, it's a lot more serious and protracted, nobody sleeps and everybody's going over their gear over and over again because you don't want to have left something behind or not be prepared with how quickly things move once you leave the staging area. Just even again, the way you talk about, about working with the other agents and the way you can see it so clearly 
I see you being like that in life. You handle life with grace. You make time for everyone. You're at every wedding. You're at every family reunion. You make the time to keep your connections strong. And how do you do that? How do you create this balance, this work family balance? Well, I think it's, I mean, it's just a constant, uh, you know, our grandpa would say, you know, it's just like a constant balancing act. So it's like everything in moderation. I remember he would always say, and it's just that. I think it's it's like understanding that you're never going to constantly know exactly how much is enough of personal time versus family time to keep to keep you where you need to be. Because, you know, I, I think that most people need a certain amount of social time and family interaction, but you also need to carve out time for yourself or you'll exhaust yourself. And so it's just, a, I think it's just, yeah, a constant reevaluation process every day of, have I reached out to these people? What do I need versus what do they need? But for me, it's really revitalizing. And, you know, I really just cherish those moments knowing that, you know, we have such limited time with each other. So I try to really set that aside. And I think, especially if I find myself just kind of like vegging out doing something, I'm like, you know what, that's time that could be spent, you know, texting, you know, my loved ones and best friends and just checking in on them. Oh, I love that you saying that you get recharged by your family, by those connections and that you take that time. I find myself so often fighting this feeling like I need to hide and then forcing myself out. Do you naturally find the going out is a, as a flow? No, actually, I think sometimes I have to force myself to go out too, which is, uh, which is funny. Cause like, you know, I, you're one of those outgoing people that I know. So it's, it's, uh, you know, comforting to know that, you know, you are, you don't have to sometimes make a conscious effort to go out. And because I sometimes really find that I need to, you know, kind of employ some willpower and make myself get ready and put on real pants, especially during the pandemic and get out of the house. But once I'm out there, you, you get in that flow so easily with friends and family that you're really thankful and happy that you actually made the jump and went out. So that's, that's what always motivates me. And then by the end of the day, when I come home, I can, you know, relax with a glass of wine and feel completely just recharged having had those amazing interactions and reforged all those bonds. It's affirming to know that you also push yourself. Maybe that's just human. Maybe that's human. I I think that's true. And I, I, I make me appreciate the time we spend with you even more knowing that, you know, that's, you know, you're just like, you know, everyone else, you're a very like complex, multifaceted person. And so that's really meaningful that you know, you feel the same way I do about that. Like you want to just sometimes be alone and just kind of like be in your own thoughts and not have no interactions and that you choose us. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's so beautiful. How do you make time for your husband and your daughter with, with distance learning? Mm-hmm. How do you make time for all this? It, it can be hard, especially uh, pre-pandemic. It was even harder to see each other. You know, I think now that we're all on, well, we can't really do full telework with our with our jobs. Now that we're under the same roof, it's a little bit easier. But before, it's, a, again, a really conscious effort. Like, it can get away from you where you're only talking to your spouse via text. You're back after they've gone to bed or vice versa. You feel like your ship's passing in the night. And I find that, at least in our profession, the most successful relationships are the ones where you can't feel that guilt about missing something from work. Like, you know, the, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the, the FOMO, like the fear of missing out on work. So you can't, you have to set that aside um, and car- compartmentalize that and really understand that you need to have date nights and, and turn the phone off sometimes. I mean, obviously within reason. So you have someone covering for you, if something pops off, but you know, 
Otherwise, it's just too easy to kind of feel estranged, even with the person in your own house. Yeah, just like any other relationship, making that that commitment and making it a conscious choice every day. And so that's important for all of us to know that us making conscious choices, that's simply getting it done, keeping it strong. Yeah. Do you have some alley words of wisdom for um, during the pandemic, not freaking out? <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> strong. <laughs> about, about work-life balance. I would say um, as far as it goes, like, you know, with work, since we, you know, we were talking about uh, women in male dominated professions, honestly, that, that really cliche phrase, fake it till you make it, it's kind of applicable because it, it really forces yourself, especially women who sometimes we're, we're not as outwardly aggressive or confident sometimes, especially in these situations to just force yourself to get in the mix and put on that confident face. And you really, after a while, you buy it yourself. You become that person that you've been pretending to be because you just make yourself get out there and do that over and over again and get stuff done. And you realize, okay, I'm not pretending anymore. I've been doing this. This is the precedent that I've set to make yourself do what, what scares you and do it confidently. And as long as you know that you've, uh, you've done everything you can to prepare and you've tried your best, that's really all you can do is put that out there in the world. And that's, that's served me pretty well in my job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm taking that with me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it helps it's helped me <laughs> thank you special agent Allison Moore for joining us today it has been a delight thank you very much for having me this has really been an honor <laughs>